All right, if you would, let's go ahead and take our copy of the confession and go ahead and go back to paragraph 8 where we were uh, last week, and then also 1 Timothy chapter number 3. So we began looking at paragraph 8 and dealing with the officers of the church. Uh, We are continuing in this chapter, chapter number 26, that deals uh, up with the church and not only its establishment, uh, but its function, uh, its purpose, and also its head. And we've learned that, of course, Christ is the head of the church. Now, I do want to read paragraph 8 again. We dealt primarily just with the first statement, but we'll read the entirety of the paragraph again. A particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church so called and gathered for the peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty which he entrusts them with or calls them to to be continued to the end of the world, our bishops or elders and deacons. So primarily last week, we dealt with that first expression that a particular church gathered and completely organized. So we learned last week that a church is not just a church because people get together. Rather, it is a church because it is gathered and completely organized. It is not something that is just thrown together with out any regard to its pattern. But we also learn that it consists of officers and members and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church so called and gathered. That'll be primarily our attention this morning. But last week we dealt with that phrase, according to the mind of Christ. So there is a right way and there is a wrong way for a church to assemble and gather. Uh, It isn't just whatever we think it should be, but it is to be done properly. So we saw that the essential identity of a particular church is that it's gathered, assembled, and completely organized according to the mind of Christ. And we really dealt with three main points, that the local church is not only a gathering of disciples, but it's those gathered disciples intentionally organize themselves in obedience to Scripture. So they are gathered, intentionally organized in obedience to Scripture. That was the first point. The second one was that the local church must be composed of saved and baptized disciples who willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving themselves up to the Lord. And of course, we learned as we give ourselves up to the Lord, the, uh, the natural reaction to that is that we'll give ourselves up to one another. So it really is supposed to be this beautiful picture of as we give ourselves over to the Lord, as we consent to walk together, uh, we are in essence giving ourselves up to one another. And then thirdly, at the very core of the local church is a common commitment to love one another in obedience to Christ. So it is a commitment to love one another in obedience to Christ. And if we love one another, John, of course, wrote in one of the epistles that that is one of the evidences that we have passed from this life into eternal life is that we have love for the brethren. So that is certainly an important part. So this morning, we're going to be dealing primarily with the 
the particular church consists of officers and members. So if you also go back to 1 Timothy 3, we dealt with those first seven verses last week, and you'll see that as we pick up the reading, this uh, Timothy, uh, as he received this letter from Paul, Paul changes now to, from the qualifications of a bishop, elder, pastor, to the qualifications of a deacon. And you will see that the qualifications are very similar. Uh, there is a high standard that is placed upon even those who would hold the office of deacon in a church. Uh, sometimes we make a grand mistake of simply appointing people in churches based upon their length of membership or how long they've attended as if that's what the qualification is. No, there's very specific qualifications just as there is for a bishop or an elder. So if you notice in verse, uh, verse number eight, it says, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy, a filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, or like we learned, uh, to be tested. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, just like we learned last week that pastors, elders can only be men. Deacons as well are supposed to be men. It is not proper for females to hold the title of, or office of deacon in a church. Okay, it's not biblical. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Now notice the similarity, ruling their children and their own house as well. That's the same requirement that was placed upon the bishop and the elder, is that if a man can't rule his own house well, how can he rule the house of God? So we do see that there is a, a high requirement uh, placed on deacons. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So we see that when you take these offices together through these first uh, 13 verses, we see that this organization consists of what we call the officers and then what we have are members. Okay, so you have officers and members. Now, as far as individuals and people, this is not a higher value. They're not more valuable people who are in the, uh, the office positions. It's the, it's the structure. It's the commandment that there is to be structure in these churches. That's all it is. Not every man is going to be a deacon and not every man is going to be a bishop or an elder. Uh, now we did see that the man who desires the office of bishop desires what did the very first verse tell us, that if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. And I firmly believe scripturally that that desire for the office of a bishop is put there by God. That is not man's desire. Man does not wake up one day and say, I want to be a bishop pastor. That is the desire is given to him of the Lord. Certainly, there have been men over the years who've entered into the office of bishop, elder, pastor wrongfully for other motivations. Uh, we see it all the time. There, there is, and I'm going to say this carefully, if you look closely, depending on how you align yourself in religion, there's a lot of money to be made in some of the false churches. 
Uh, there are men making substantial amounts of money, so they desire the office because of the benefit that it pays them. I would submit to you those are not truly God-appointed, God-called uh, men. Those are individuals who are in violation of the filthy lucre. They're in it for the money. Believe it or not, you can make a lot of money in the ministry now uh, if you will just align yourselves in the right way. But we see that carefully what the Bible does is that the confession does not place the government of a local church in any way, shape, or form outside of the local church. In other words, we are not to have a governing body. Uh, there, is no, there is not another government, another church government, for example, over our church. We don't report, nor do we give account to, any other governing body. I gave the example of the Southern Baptist Convention last week. That's an example. We don't report to them. Uh, we're not aligned with them. And right now, I, I don't think you should be aligned with them. I think churches should right now really consider whether or not they should be aligned with Southern Baptist Convention and they should leave that convention if it continues, especially the way it's going now. That sounds harsh, but that's the reality. The conventions has lost, completely lost its way. Um, and so... We're not aligned with that. So if someone asks you, are you a Southern Baptist church? We are not a Southern Baptist church. But we are structured according to what the Bible says we should be. So the government of the church occurs within the church. So it's embedded within the church itself. Okay, so the members, the officers, all of that is embedded within each particular local church. Okay. So the officers of a church, get this, the officers of the church are also members of the church. So I'm a member of this church, and so is my family. Now you might, that may sound strange to you, but there are churches that there are men who are sent to various churches who are not members of that church. They are simply there on an assignment. Sometimes they, and again, I don't mean to bash, but this is the way the Southern Baptist Convention has worked for a long time. They will take men that are going into the ministry and they'll place them somewhere for two years and they'll say, hey, if you'll go serve here for a couple of years, we'll move you on to something bigger and something better. That's been happening for years. They're not really members. They're just there on assignment. Now, I'm not talking about that it's wrong if, for example, a church um, is, um, is without a pastor. And sometimes there are churches that there is a difficulty in finding a single man inside of that church to even stand up and keep that church even moving forward. Sometimes church men are brought in to, to continue until God reveals who he would have. But there should be, at all times, the officers of that church should be members of that church. So government of the church is within the church. So you see this between what is actually a healthy congregation and a healthy leadership. If everything is the way it's supposed to be, these things are functioning properly. Uh, it's, it's clear uh, that the congregation itself um, and the officers, um, they are ministering to one another. Okay, So officers, yes, bishops, elders, pastors are called to minister to you and called to be a pastor to you, but you are also called to minister in return to even those officers of the church and to one another. Now, there is this idea that pastors, bishop, elders don't need to be ministered to. 
I will tell you, after uh, a number of years in ministry now, um, we, yes, we do. Um, it, there isn't a, a, a no desire for ministry because we are the ones that are called to minister to the congregation, certainly. But if it's functioning properly, everyone is ministering to each other. And so this is functioning uh, in the right way. And when we do that, we're recognizing and lovingly submitting to what the local church is, but we're also submitting not only to the officers of the church, but we're also submitting to one another because the officers are in an, in an attempt to lead you uh, in the way that we should go. Now, when Paul was writing to Timothy, of course, we were talking about a time in which the churches were still being established. I mean, the, the church itself is being established. Now, there are churches that are planted every day. Uh, thankfully, and, and Lord willing, um, that's something that we as a church want to be a part of, finding a place where a church needs to be planted. And we certainly would get behind that if it's, if it's uh, correct doctrinally and say, you know, how can we help another church somewhere in the country or somewhere in the world plant and get established and get started? Well, that's what Paul was doing when he wrote these letters to Timothy. He was reminding him, here's what the things should look like. Here's what the church should look like. And so he's dealing with every aspect of what the church should be. So the congregation uh, fulfills the definition, of course, of a gathering. Okay? And within that gathering, intentionally organized, assembled people, the congregation can easily identify who the officers of that church are. Now we're going to get into this over the next couple of weeks. Uh, this, our church is in a period where we have been for a number of years where we are praying and moving towards the biblical mandate of plurality of elders, which means having more than one elder. Right now, I serve in that office. I serve in that capacity. Uh, and it's not because we don't want to have it, but you can't just come out and pick somebody. There has to be a desire in that man's heart as well. And so to this point, God has not revealed that. So we continue to pray to that end. Uh, it was never intended. It was never intended that the entirety would fall on the shoulders of one single man. That was never God's intent. Now, there are churches all over this world that are doing it. And they're doing it out of necessity. Uh, there are men who are doing it because they want all the power, want all the authority. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. There are lots of churches that are just at this point are incapable of having more than one elder. And so that doesn't mean that we're in violation of Scripture. We have, this is, we've been praying about this. And yet, this is the structure. And yet, what we can do is we continue to move uh, towards being in obedience to the Scripture. So the officers that are appointed by Christ are identifiable. Okay? Now again, it gets a little strange for me when I have to talk about this, but I would be identified as an officer of the church. Okay? One of those offices. Elder, bishop, pastor. Okay? Easily identifiable. Okay? Not more important. Not higher in value. Just called and set apart in one local congregation. I don't pastor more than one church. Okay? I'm, this, is, this, is, this is the church in which I'm a member of. And my entire family is. Okay? So it has officers and members. So we have these two offices. We have the office of elder. We have the office of deacon. So these are two offices which comprise the local church. 
Both offices are mentioned together here in 1 Timothy 3, and they're also both mentioned when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. So if you want to turn over to Philippians, just to give you a reference point here. Uh, Philippians 1.1, and I'm just just giving you this to see that when Paul uh, was writing to them, he acknowledges these two offices. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is identifying that church at Philippi and identifying the the offices, the, the elder, bishop, pastor, deacon. So the implication here is, is that these are what has been identified and instituted for these offices. There is nowhere in Scripture where we see another office in that government position. Okay, so we don't see, for example, an evangelist in that role of governance. Okay, we don't see it in any other form other than what's being mentioned here. Okay, so these... These terms uh, describe the same office of elder. Okay, so we see that word elder, uh, it's the same word that's bishop, overseer, or pastor. When we get to paragraph 10 of chapter 26, we're going to see that more in depth. But then there's also a reference to a shepherd. Okay, so all of these are identifying as the same office. Okay, so if you turn over to Acts 20, we were here a few weeks ago, uh, but Acts 20, verse 7. Um, It gives us, or 17 rather, Acts 20 verse 17 says, And from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Okay, so basically he called the pastor, bishop, overseers, he called them. Okay, so this is, we're starting to see that this is, this is part of this plurality of elder. Okay, then drop down to verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Again, overseer, elder, pastor, it's the same word. Uh, Over in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we see this again. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. For this cause left thy in Crete that thou shouldest set in order. Okay, there's organization. The things that are wanting. Now, many of the commentators believe specifically what Paul meant by this is that there were congregations who were still lacking the structure and the need for this. In other words, even in the, the first century church, when these are being planted, they still needed direction. They still needed guidance. But what he says to them, that you should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to a filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. 
holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Again, you see the, the role of the elders. You see the qualifications. You see the requirements. These are not optional things. If a man does not meet those qualifications, no matter, listen carefully, no matter how gifted he is in handling the word, he may be able to preach, he may be able to preach the paint off the walls. But if he does not meet these qualifications, he's not qualified to be a bishop, elder, pastor, overseer. So you cannot just judge the qualification of a man by how well he preaches and teaches. It's one of the things he's required to do, but it's not the only thing. I've seen this mistake made many, many times. We are, we are attracted to the eloquent speaker. We are attracted to the person who engages us. We're attracted to them and we think, now that would make a great pastor. Not necessarily. Okay? That's why the Bible is really clear as to what these requirements of what these elders, pastors, overseers. And I think that's another reason why we see the difference in words. Shepherd. A man can be a fantastic preacher and not a very good shepherd. It is, it is possible for these things to happen. Uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 2, or verse 1, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And of course, we saw that word already used in our text in 1 Timothy 3. And then the last one I want to show you uh, is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. We often miss this, the purpose. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we see that the qualifications are indeed heavy, but the qualifications also show us the beauty of the office, the beauty of why one of the many reasons God has given it to us um, is not just for the title, but because that is the structure, that is the pattern. So oftentimes, the, the metaphorical word that's most often used to describe a person who leads is a shepherd. So a shepherd sometimes is it's referred to as a pastor elder because they, in a sense, lead. Now, sadly, this has started to bleed over into corporate America. Okay? The CEO of your company is not a shepherd. Your boss at work is not your shepherd. Okay? The shepherd has a reference to the church. It has a reference to the office of pastor, elder, bishop. It's really on the level of insanity to start calling business owners. And even if they're Christian people, they're not shepherds. Okay? That's the, that, that title, of course, we see that the shepherd is Christ himself. 
I mean, how dare would we put that in the same category? That's, that's how precious the church is to Christ, that he actually is calling those who desire this office shepherds, who under shepherds is what we know them as. They are following what God has commanded. So scripture makes it clear. And again, now I have not always had this conviction, so this is new to me. I did not grow up understanding plurality of elders. I didn't understand that that's really what it was because I had a misinterpretation of the offices and misinterpretation of the use of the words. But I am convinced that the reality is that the Bible actually teaches that the normal uh, functioning of a church, now again, this comes down to it's not always possible, but it comes down to that a local church should have a plurality of elders. Now we'll talk about this later, Just because we don't have men in that office does not mean that we do not have men who are capable of teaching and preaching and standing up before you. And we we have been able to utilize that. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful that there are men in the church capable of handling the word of God. But at the present time, they are not in that title. Okay? So it it is a healthy church that has men who are not necessarily bishop, elders, pastors, overseers, deacons, who can stand up and teach, but they don't hold those offices, okay? Uh, There was a time in the life of this church since I've been here, that was an impossibility. There was no one who was even willing to stand up and teach. So we're thankful for that, okay? So we're thankful. But we do know plurality of elders is the biblical imperative. So we see those two offices, elders and deacons. Now we'll get more into what each one of these even does more in the coming weeks. So continuing with that thought of plurality of elders, uh, the New Testament does not present to us a local church uh, that only has one elder per se, but rather the plurality of elders is seen in a number of different verses. Now some of these we already read, so I'm not going to repeat those. Uh, But if you'll look at Acts 14, verse 23, we again see this pattern of the um, plurality of elders. And this was one of the verses that really um, God kind of changed my mind with, if you will. Maybe that's not the best term. But it's, it's really, it's kind of like, you know, when you're reading Scripture and sometimes something just becomes so clear to you, you look at it and you say, how have I missed this? Well, this is one of them, and it's, it's in the context of, of course, um, the story of Paul. Uh, but you'll notice that it says um, in verse 19, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And here's that verse. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they Believe. And I know some have said that he just meant elders, plural, because there's a number of different churches. I think it goes along with everything else that says every one of these churches was, trying, was being established with plurality. There was more than one elder uh, in every church. Um, just on a side note, I will tell you that 
the, uh, the enormity, the amount of pressure that is being placed on churches that are structured with no desire to move beyond one elder, that pastor is under crushing pressure. And I want you to understand that. We may not fully get this, but some of these men that are pastoring single-handedly, they're, they're pastoring these churches of thousands of people, uh, the burden can be crushing. Okay, And that's not the way God intended this to be. And so this plurality of elders has a lot of value. It has not only that burden, but it also has the, the accountability factor there, right? And so that's why even in our church, um, I, there, are, there are people in this church who I am intentionally have made myself accountable to so that those are men that, hey, even if they're not holding this office, I want you to understand, I want you to hold me accountable. We're doing what we can do, and, but I also I need help. I need help with many things. And you say, well, this is a small church. This is easy. No, it's not easy. And so there's a lot of things that happen in a small church that you wouldn't even think about. The number of people does not determine how heavy the burden is. Okay? And so that's, that's where there's so many valuable things that we need to keep in mind here. So this plurality of elders is seen repeatedly. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Know them which labor over you, right? Those who are laboring among you, elders and deacons, they are, they are, they are faithfully ministering in their proper capacity uh, in each one of those. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17, we're going to kind of deal with this verse as we conclude Hebrews this morning. He says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And I love the next three words. Paul says, Pray for us. Right? If Paul was the writer, if Paul wasn't the writer, either way, he's saying we need prayer. Right? We need prayer. So we see this. We see this pattern. Then the last one is James 5.14. And this is to deal with those who are sick. Is any sick among you? Now notice this pattern. Okay, This, this, this doesn't necessarily happen this way in the, in the modern church. But this is how it was put. Is, is any sick among you? Let him, that's the sick, call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. You notice that's very rare. You, very rare do you see a call for the elders of the church, and very rarely even do you see the anointing with oil, right? But that's what James says. But again, Look at its, its call for the elders of the church. Any sick among you, call for the elders. Okay, that's more than one. doesn't say call for the one elder, call for the elders. So we see that, and we are, by God's grace and in a desire to obey his word, that's where we're trying to get to. Okay? So we see this. So we see these officers set apart. For the peculiar administration, notice again in paragraph 8 now, the confession. 
consists of officers and members and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so called and gathered. Now, again, this becomes a, a bit of a level of controversy. All right, so who calls them? Who sets them apart? Now, the confession writers, the position they're taking, and again, today is not taking one position or another for sake of argument today. But you'll notice that it says these officers are appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church. Okay, so you see the congregation involved in this appointment and setting apart. But notice the order that the confession writers were very careful to identify. Appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart for the peculiar administration of ordinances, execution of power or duty, which he entrusts them with or calls them to, to be continued to the end of the world, our bishops, elders, and deacons. So we see, after we take all the evidence of the scripture we're looking at here, we see that they are called and set apart for the peculiar administration. In other words, they have responsibilities. They have jobs. They have things that they are to be about doing. Okay? So as we're going to see over the coming weeks, each church office, the office of deacon and the office of bishop, elder, pastor, overseer, has specific responsibilities that go along with each one of those offices. Okay? They have a, what we'll call a, a level of responsibility. But what is the point of each office? Office of deacon and elder, the point is, is to minister in the name of Christ to that congregation. Okay, now I will tell you, probably the most misused and misunderstood office in all of church kingdoms today is the office of deacon. It's the most misused and misunderstood. If deacons actually were doing, in most cases, what the Bible says to do, our churches would be alarmed at what they've actually put on top of the elders doing when it should be the deacons actually doing that if it's structured properly, right? So part of the crushing burden that pastors are feeling is because they're not only doing the work of a pastor, they're doing the work of a deacon. They're carrying both weights. This is where the problem lies. But again, this is not directed at anybody here. Somebody needs some encouragement, for example. And a deacon is willing to come and help encourage that person. Many, many times, again, this is not directed at anybody here. Well, that's not good enough. I want the pastor. That is wrong from top to bottom. Okay, well, no, only, no I, I need... But if you look at the deacons, they are ministering to the benevolent needs of the congregation. And some of the things we've put on our pastors to do are completely off, they're off the path. And if we were doing it right, and if we do it right, the responsibility is then leveled out among the officers. Now, I know pastors personally who that terrifies them to even consider not being the only guy. Because they're afraid of losing fleshly control. And yet, that is normally what may look like a healthy congregation underneath it. If it's functioning that way, it's not really healthy. Okay, and I could, I could tell you, and you've heard them, I could tell you some horror stories about things that probably would not have happened if the structure was right. 
That man would not have been allowed to be in the situation he was in. Again, doesn't make him an excuse, but he wouldn't have been allowed to be in that circumstance, in that situation, and it never would have happened. Okay? Plurality of eldership is a, is a protection to the church, if anything. It's a protection to the men. It's a protection to the congregation as a whole. Uh, it's a protection to the children of the church. Will, I'll take it that far. Right? So that's why I have always tried to have somebody holding me directly accountable. Again, we are not where we want to be yet, but we are moving that way. So there's a level of responsibility, right? It's ministering the rule of Christ. The ordinances refer to worship, okay? So worship is the public means of grace, is what you'll hear us call those. Uh, the, the simple means of grace, public means of grace. What is that? Those ordinances. It's the preaching of the word. It's public prayer. It's the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are the things that the, the, they're separated out that the bishops, and elders, overseers are to be doing. Uh, so it's normal for you to see them in those roles. So this power or this responsibility of a bishop elder does entail preaching and teaching, prayer, laboring in the word and doctrine. Now, that doesn't mean that's all they do, although that's a full day. That's not all that they do. They will be involved when people are sick. They will be involved when there are needs there. But it's never was intended to fall completely as far as the, the, the visiting and the benevolence all on the pastors. Okay? If you're a member of this church and, and you get a visit from another member of this church and it isn't me, you should praise God that you've got somebody who came to see you. Okay? And again, we've had situations in this church where the single reason why those people aren't here anymore is because I didn't live up to pastoral visitation requirements. What they wanted it to be. And times when I could not have even guessed right. Okay? It's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be this lovingly sub loving submission to one another that understands what's actually happening here. And I think that's also another reason why church is not just something we do on Sundays and Wednesdays. Okay? This isn't some place you come to. Uh, we are the church. We're the church 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And so these are, these are important ministry truths. Again, when we get to, again, I'm not ducking this. When we get to paragraph 10, there's an entire chat, there's an entire paragraph on the responsibilities of pastors. So we're, we're going to get there. So there is a similar description of the work of a deacon. And that's also is crucial in the care and caring well, as far as how Christ would say to care for his flock. The elders primarily minister Christ's word with their primary focus or emphasis is on the spiritual well-being of the flock. That's what you want me laboring in. You want me laboring for your spiritual well-being, right? I would think that's what you would want. But yet, the deacons, they labor, minister as a, an extension, all right? We're going to use that word, of the eldership. Okay, and that the extension means that they are primarily responsible for the benevolent compassion of Christ to the needs, attending to the more material concerns. Now, this doesn't mean that that's a lesser thing. And folks, this is where people get this all messed up. It's as if 
you caring for my spiritual needs is not as important as you caring for my material needs. And because you as a bishop, elder, overseer are not meeting my needs in both of those areas, the deacons or men who can be identified in that role are doling out that compassion. That's their role. So it would be fully within the boundaries of a healthy functioning congregation that if you were in need of something, for a deacon to show up at your house and your response should not be, well, where's the pastor? I am not the only one that can meet the needs. Now, again, there are times and there are are many times, and some of you know this, and I'm not saying this to my own pride at all, but there are times when you have called me and I've been right there when you needed me. And it's not like I'm sitting here saying I will never be in any of those material situations. I'm just telling you there is a structure to this. And when it's functioning right, um, that's, that's what we're looking for. So this meeting the needs, the material needs by which the church has uh, been given, uh, this helps accomplish all of the different tasks. Now in Acts chapter 6, again, it, it depends on who you talk to. There are different opinions about this. Um, I take the position that this is the establishment of, of deacons. Okay, it's in Acts chapter 6. Again, we're not going to get into a great debate today of whether or not that's what you think or don't think. This is a position that I'm taking, um, is that this is one of the ways in which the distinction between these two offices was given. In Acts 6, verse 1, it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now again, please don't say that they were saying we are way, way above serving tables. That's not what they were saying at all. But they were, they were being forced because of the need to leave the ministry of the word for very important, needful things. Okay? The, the taking care of those who were widows indeed. And by the way, widows indeed is what the scripture teaches. Not all widows, widows indeed, which meets a certain level of qualification of what makes up an actual widow. People are usually mind blown when they see this. And the widow indeed has a lot of different characteristics to it. But wherefore, because of this, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So there clearly is this line marked. This is what their role is to carry out this business of serving tables and dealing with the neglected widows who are widows indeed. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, and then it goes on and it says, saying, please the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Okay, so we see these men being set apart for that particular office. Okay, and we see that it's, Uh, How many there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's seven people that are chosen. It doesn't mean every church has to have seven deacons, but it does indicate that those men were set apart for that particular role of taking care of those material needs. 
serving of tables, meeting the needs of the widows who were being neglected. Okay, so in summary this morning, because uh, we're out of time today, the confession along with scripture teaches us about biblical church government, these uh, final points here. Every local church has the necessary authority to be self-governing. In other words, this church of ours, we have enough already to be self-governing. In other words, there's nothing in our structure that says we need somebody else to govern over us. Okay, does everybody understand that concept? Um, Even if we don't have everything perfectly the way we need it to be eventually, right? We don't need someone else to govern over us. This happens more than you think. Okay? There is no higher denominational authority we're to seek after. Okay? For example, again, let's say the Southern Baptist Convention gets its act together. We're not going to join the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay? It's, it, it, and I know it's not supposed to be a governing authority, but it has become a governing authority, whether it's official or unofficial or not. The original plan between the Southern Baptist Convention actually made a little bit of sense. The only point it was really supposed to be was to help with missionary endeavors. That was it. It was supposed to be a collective where money could be collected for missionaries. So if I was going to the field, I didn't have to go and act like a pauper and go from church to church and town to town and try to raise enough support, lose support, gain support. We were supposed to go to one location and say, look, we want to go to China. And their needs would be met there. It has been decades since the Southern Baptist Convention, that's actually what they've been about. Okay, it became a governing, ruling authority who is now making broad statements on what churches should actually accept now. Okay, and just recently, just recently, the current administration of the Southern Baptist Convention just said we need to recognize and ordain female pastors in our churches. Tell me again, why would you be hitched to that convention now? Now, you can disagree with me. That's okay. That's it's like they say, it's America, right? You can, you can disagree with me. But we're not hitching to that, right? Why? Because it's, it's against the word. So we have everything we need. The authority is given to us by God, and it resides within our local church. There are two offices in that local church. We've seen this this morning, elder and deacon. They are appointed by Christ, set apart by the church. We'll talk more about what that means. So the elders provide necessary leadership. Church members should follow the lead of elders unless they believe the scriptures are being violated. So this doesn't mean that it's carte blanche, that whatever the man leader says, you have to just accept. If he's wrong, if he's scripturally wrong, then that needs to be dealt with, right? Again, there are people who actually want answers, and then there are people who seek to divide. Okay? There are people that no matter what you say, they want to divide. But honest, look, is this a violation? Did you mean to say what you said? Look, I've had a number of people over the years that have done that. We've had great conversations. They've come and say, listen, you said something today. I just want to verify I heard it correctly. Sometimes I misspoke. It happens. Sometimes I don't even know I misspoke, right? That's why you misspeak. You don't know it. But it ought to be healthy enough to where a person can say, look, I just want to clarify this. Not, hey, I got you moment. See, I knew you were a wolf. No. Just come and let's have a conversation about it, right? So there is no denominational structure 
that's taught in Scripture. So there's nowhere you can point and say that we are part of the leadership of a denomination. So this form of Christ's government for the local church is to be continued how long? Until the end of the world. Okay, this is not a great experiment. This is not God, the Lord, figuring out which methods are working today, which methods are, uh, will work for this generation. It's been this way and it will continue to be this way, right? So there's not a new structure coming. You're, we're not going to get an official copy of God's Word that's going to say, you know what, that whole idea with the elders and the deacons, let's scrap that. Let's, let's just go to everybody does what's right in their own eyes. This is the structure that's supposed to be until the end of the world. Okay, so that's what we intend to do. Um, God is not going to discard this structure and replace it with another form of government. What did Jesus tell his disciples in the words of the Great Commission? He says, I am with you always even until the end of the age or until the end of the world. So now there are people who argue with our form of government. Okay, they argue with our form of how our church is structured. And lovingly, I say this. Don't argue with the structure. If this is not the structure you can, are convicted and convinced is right, then that probably should not be the church you're a part of. Right? Because if you are against it, it's not going to be different. We're not going to have a business meeting and change the structure from elders and deacons to now some other form. It's, this is what it's going to be, right? So we keep it that way. So um, you'll have to take that up with God if we're wrong. Okay? Uh, if, if, if we're wrong, take it up with the Lord. But we're doing the best we can according to what the Scripture says. And it teaches us that the Lord has been pleased to rule His church through these offices and scripturally intends to do that uh, throughout the remainder of this age. All right, so that helps us. So next week, uh, we'll look into verse, or, uh, paragraph 9 of the confession, and uh, we'll deal more about those that are chosen uh, into the eldership, um, how that comes about, and uh, what the church should be doing uh, while seeking that. Okay, so it'll be very, very relevant next week. All right, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer to our time.